everybody knows how to spin the wheel. Let's go, wheel! Give me a miracle. But when you put insane amounts of money up there, boom! Look at that! I'm talking three million dollars a spin. Now, we're talking about the biggest game ever played. Holy A game where every spin can make dreams come true. You're one spin away from fortune, or one spin away from losing it all. Come on! Come on! Come on! It could be worth two or three million dollars this spin. You need to get the pop culture trivia right. That was correct! And with a little bit of luck, you can win millions and millions of dollars. Yeah! Oh, oh. yeah! That is a lot of money! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that I know something about. Game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. It's a special episode, because if you're hearing this, it sounds like we're back. Kind of. All right, so I, I have to really get this right out of the gate. Uh, game shows, I suppose, is, is going to be updating this little RSS feed every Monday with episodes from the past. So a lot of every episode you're, you're about to hear, except for, I guess, this one, don't tell anybody, <laughs> a little secret, um, <clears throat> will be something from the Patreon feed. Way back then, when we were closing up game shows, I suppose I had a secondary feed for Patreon listeners where they would get little bit extra videos and podcasts uh, detailing other game shows. So a lot of game shows I have covered on the Patreon, and I'm going to now put them out for listen now. Of course, it is a few years old, so a lot of the jokes don't land anymore. It was still in the midst of the pandemic, so a lot of anxiety still takes place, and there's still a little anxiety going on here um, in my own personal life, but that's besides the point. So, uh, it is essentially, a, it's not really a reboot. It's not, it, it's kind of like when peer pressure took out the episodes and, 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 and rehashed it because they couldn't get the Magic 8 ball. It's like that. Only I'm not editing shit. I just had to upload it. I spent all of yesterday uploading every episode. So you're going to be seeing new episodes. This is a promise to you <laughs> because I checked the schedule between now and in January 2025. So we have all of this year covered, all of next year covered, and even a bit of January. That being said, though, while that's going to be updating on Monday, I it's still not going to stop me from, if I want to, talk about game shows here. Uh, there has been a few more pricing games on the prices right to explore. We'll be dealing with one of those today. And addition, there's been a bit of news going on in the world of game shows. So I wanted to make a quick bonus new episode. Whoopie-doo. Uh, but here's the catch, though. Uh, looking at a lot of the game shows I missed and reading what has happened uh, between seasons, a lot of the game shows that you'll be seeing now on game shows, I suppose, don't really have that much research, shall we say. Um, when I ended the show, I wanted to pick my favorite game shows because I could talk nonstop about them. But the shows you're about to hear, I could maybe get 10, 20 minutes on if we're going to do classic game shows, I suppose, chat about them. So they're going to feel like mini reviews again, even in a lot of the shows you're about to hear again. Either they're reviewed from the past or they're going to be talked about again here. But uh, tonight's episode is going to be dealing with wheels. Uh, pretty much there has been two big game shows in recent history 
dealing with wheels, one of which is a British game show that made its way to NBC, The Wheel, and the other one was called Spin the Wheel. So we have two wheel shows. I would be talking about Wheel of Fortune, but we already did that episode. And this would have been a good time to talk about Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, but the only thing you need to know about that was uh, they got rid of all the gimmicks and they made sure it was if you get the puzzle 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, whoever got the most after round three would play the bonus round. Then they play it again uh, and have a speed up round in the second half. It's all for charity. It's all very cute. Uh, but, uh, I, I also had to make this episode because, uh, something I've talked about in early episodes of game shows, I suppose, episodes of my other podcast, uh, and here has dealt with the union. Uh, the writer strike is going on currently, uh, with the Screen Actors Guild also co-signing and IATSE also co-signing. Uh, essentially, writers are striking because, obviously, uh, they are getting a bad rap because of streaming deals, and additionally, uh, the thought of replacing them with AI in small little rooms and what do you need. It's all a lot of weird stuff. Now, game shows are very weird to explain because a lot of game shows do have uh, Writers Guild writers. Uh, because it deals with a teleprompter and a script, uh, some of the questions, and especially if it's a network-based game show like The Chase, that is a Writers Guild game show, uh, including, I believe, Jeopardy as well. Uh, but a lot of the other game shows, the ones that are like Game Show Network originals, they're kind of a little under the weather kind of thing. It's kind of hard to... Uh, research who it is and isn't a Writers Guild writer on those shows. So it's a bit of a challenge. But the worst thing I could say is because of a Writers Guild strike, what this usually means is that a lot of shows, because you got to think back to 2008, uh, a lot of people are researching and coming up with their own 10 cents. But here's the one thing I know. When productions are stopped and they come up with really bad, they end up coming up with really bad off-studio lo off location shoots because they know the writers are striking at the major studios. So what this means is you get a lot of really bad uh, dating shows, uh, really bad uh, travel shows. You get game shows set in uh, off-studios, like in Connecticut, or in this case, which I'm going to guess now, Made in Georgia! And it's going to be uh, a lot of, let's just say, speedy rushed game shows that weren't play tested at all and will be terrible. Uh, that being said, uh, without uh, going into further detail, I'm looking at a deadline right now and there is a new show coming soon to NBC. Now, I, I, I hope this, I, it's not April Fool's Day. I'm recording this May 14th, 2023. So just, just to let you know. Uh, and they have given a lot of the upfronts currently. Uh, a lot of them are very, let's just say sketch, shall we say. Um, so there, here is the show. Ready? Here is the summer uh, deadline article. This was May 12, 2023. Deal or no deal island. NBC is leaning into more unscripted for midseason. No shit. This network is bringing back deal or no deal with a new twist and has confirmed that it is lining up another America's Got Talent spinoff as Deadline revealed earlier this week. So which scab is going to end up being the narrator for this? <clears throat> Jimmy Fallon's password also moves to midseason as revealed by Deadline this morning. Oh, no kidding. Really? The, the game shows? 
Uh, production has been pushed due to writer's strike. Yep, that of course that would happen. Uh, all right. The shows amongst NBCs, uh, such as America's Got Talent, Hot Wheels, Ultimate Challenge, American Ninja Warrior, and L.A. Fire and Rescue. Uh, L.A. Fire and Rescue uh, is actually going to be a docu-series that's actually set in Los Angeles about the fire and rescue department in Los Angeles. It's actually going to be like cops, but firefighters. Anyway... <clears throat> Let's talk about Deal or No Deal Island. <clears throat> Deal or No Deal Island is set on the banker's private island. God damn it. This, this is the world building. Where he makes the rules and there are twists behind every palm tree. I fucking... You know what I don't miss about game shows, I suppose? Hey, you know what I don't miss? These really shit press releases. It makes me annoyed. I hate it. I hate it so much. <sighs> Let's just go back to the beginning. <clears throat> Deal or No Deal Island is set on the banker's private island where he makes the rules and there are twists behind every palm tree. The series is described as a mix between the original long-running format and Survivor. You know, there's a big thing going on in pre uh, in new formats where it is battle royale formats, like a hundred contestants or like 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 fiscal one hundred. Uh, there's the floor, which also has a hundred contestants. Uh, there is uh, just bring back fucking one versus one hundred if you're gonna fucking do like a big battle royale style format. Eh. And otherwise, it is an island show. A love island was a success in some countries, so they try to do it with others. Uh, so Bachelor in Paradise, for instance, was Bachelor as a game format on an island. You had Snakes in the Grass, which wasn't really an island game show. It was more like a camping adventure style show, but they said an island, so let's just stick to it. Uh, so get ready for Cooking Island, Mutiny Island, the cook, a chef... A hundred people on an... Oh, yeah, that's right. Million Dollar Island was going to have that. The hundred people on an island gimmick. Oh, yeah, that didn't work out. <clears throat> All right, so... Hidden on the island are over 100 cases with millions of dollars split between them, which teams must retrieve so that they can play a game of deal or no deal against the banker. Only one team will survive until the very last episode where they'll compete to beat the banker for the biggest prize in deal or no deal history. Are, are they going to have like the Joe Cipriano narrator doing like some background noise for this? Like these teams are playing for one million dollars. But it's the banker's island. And then they have Howie Mandel show up in the Hawaiian shirt. The banker's going to offer you to leave the island. All right. The series, which is based on Banajay's Dutch format. Yeah, yeah. The, the Dutch format by Banajay, as in Millionok, not Millionok Island. Ran from NBC from 2005 to 2009. It returned with host Howie Mandel for a holiday special in 2018 and then ran original episodes on CNBC. Why didn't they just run the CNBC episodes for the reboot? Why did they do that? You couldn't, that was easy. That was a, that was a easy hook shot. It, it's like when, when ABC brings back Millionaire. <sighs> okay. Mandel will executive produce the new version, but no word whether he will also host. Probably will if he's the EP. Hosting means he's an on-camera presence and he can talk to people. But then again, when you have some, uh, you, you have that, that fear of germs and you're on an island, I could also see maybe him not doing it. I'm just thinking for Howie's sake, because I, I do care for Howie. Um, <clears throat> the series is produced by Endemol Shine North America, with Sharon Levy and DJ Nuri also serving as executive producers. Uh, NBC is also working on a new spinoff AGT called, uh, okay, well, they don't say what it's going to be called. 
Um, remember, America's Got Talent Extreme? It was like the Go Big show. The details of the new format are still being worked out. So they didn't even finish playtesting or figuring out the show before giving approval. This is the shit I warned about. It'll be co-produced by Fremontal and Psycho Entertainment, Simon Cowell's company. I really hope this is America's Got Talent and not the Deal or No Deal Island show. Maybe it's America's Got Talent Island. You're going to have jugglers and a small child singer and they're playing for food instead of a million bucks or some shit. Oh, God. So, <clears throat> Deal or No Deal Island, I, I think... Here's what, here's what I actually think happened. Uh... They didn't want to bring back Deal or No Deal, the proper studio format, because, you know, production. So they're trying to do an island-based format because islands are a new trend. Additionally, and because Deal or No Deal is a wide, successful format show, and people really love Survivor, uh, they tried to make sure they put two and two together. So how do you make a Deal or No Deal with a Survivor format? Well... They don't want to make full-on Blade and Survivor with individuals. It sounds like they're doing team-based Survivor. So you're, I'm going to expect couples playing these challenges and going on the hunt. But there's a lot of things that's going through my mind about this news. First of all, it sounds like a... Look, I, I, I hate to cast judgment. I, want, I will definitely watch it just to see what the hell it's about. Hopefully I'm wrong. This sounds like a really bad idea for a show. Three reasons. One, my favorite part about Deal or No Deal is that it's a game show that's so fucking simple. Anybody can play. Anybody knows the rules. You pick a case. You open the other cases. Then there's an offer. Do you take the money and go? And I like that because there's a human drama element to it. And Deal or No Deal was a breakthrough hit in the 2000s. And you could easily have brought that show back as it was because it turns out they're bringing back Deal or No Deal in the UK, in Italy. I think they're doing it in France, I heard, maybe. They, for America, they could easily have done it again. Obviously, though, Press Your Luck on ABC has done a much better job at that drama, guesswork, luck-based game show human element. So instead of trying to just... Tweak the show just a little bit, as in, like, maybe throw $2 million at it, because now you have the wall on, on NBC with, like, $14,000 million, and you have Press Your Luck with these human interest prizes. Why not try and tweak the show so now each contestant gets their own personalized board with personalized prizes on stake? And at the same time, maybe $2 million. Because then there's the chance at maybe a million-dollar offer at the end of the show, which is enticing because now you can be a millionaire without actually playing till the end, which is, oh, very interesting. And then you add, like, a Tesla or you add, like, a personalized vacation. And then you use those elements as a bargaining chip for the offers. So now it's $40,000. And then we'll throw in the car, or it's $30,000, and we're throwing in the vacation. So that way, for instance, the big joke was the pony episode with the pony. I think that was the jump the shark moment for American Deal or No Deal. When you have something like a pony up, put the pony on the, on the board and keep the pony around. So that way it becomes a bargaining chip and then you can counter or, hey, the banker is going to include the pony but lose $10,000. Something like that. So you, you could have some sort of more element of the game. The thing I liked about CNBC was the counter offer because uh, in that version, there was kind of a human element of, well, the bankers, which is the producers, agree to a counter offer. So that, I thought that made a more interesting dynamic. Now, obviously, a lot of people didn't like that, as other people did. But I think if you just make it more like a, a, a Shark Tank light, where you back and forth until someone says no, no, and then you keep playing, 
it becomes a more interesting dynamic of the show. Now, Survivor is a great game show. I, I, I think I, I, we, we talked about Survivor on Game Show as opposed to a long time ago. The appeal of Survivor is first the human element aspect, two, the socio-political aspect, and three, it is essentially the go-to reality competition series people go to. It's a cult hit. It doesn't matter how many seasons they go through in Fiji, people still watch it, they buy the buffs, they look at the same challenges over and over again, and they don't care, because Jeff is a great host. The contestants they cast are wonderful people from all over America. So there, it works in so many regards. But the thing is, that's a individual-based game show. Deal or No Deal Island sounds like it's a team-based game show, which means couples. So now you're going to have to have couples form alliances. You're going to have couples split off and form alliances with others. You're going to have the couples argue with each other because that's your drama. And I, I just want to state for the record here, I think audiences have moved on from that. I think to get couples to yell at each other and scream, well, that is a very normal human condition to have people argue. I think to have that sort of negative screaming match on television has sort of been sullied. They don't want to see that anymore. They want to get into the opposite. They're looking for happy-go-lucky kind of shows. They're looking for a great British bake-off optimistic, hopeful kind of show. They watch game shows for escapism from the harsh realities of the show. On even something like Survivor, the arguing back and forth is now only 20 seconds. It's not a fucking three hour long, oh, you have to watch it. They argue over food. They don't even bother with that anymore. It's now just, where's the hidden immunity idol? I don't know. Do you have it? I'm not telling you. Well, you should tell me. No. But instead of hidden immunity idols, in this show, it looks like there's going to be cases. No word yet on if these cases are the actual large size Apache cases that you would remember from the show, or if they're going to be little tinier ones. And the idea is supposed to be to collect as many as you can because that increases your odds of getting more money. But here's the thing. And this is option number three. So first one, it's not everybody can play anymore because now only one is going to play, which means you're going to see a 10 episode season. And only one team is going to actually play Deal or No Deal. The other teams are fucked. They don't get to play the show. And that means that they're kind of out of it. They're, they're, they're fucked. So now you're going to have, who deserves it? Who is the best? Who's a threat in the game? That, that whole element of why people like Deal or No Deal, anybody can play, anybody can win, is thrown out the door. It's now only one person gets to play, which, by the way, also defeats the purpose of Howie's original speech for Deal or No Deal. Deal or No Deal, there's no wacky stunts, no trivia questions. The only thing standing between a player and a huge cash prize is one question, Deal or No Deal. Well, now there's wacky stunts. You have to do fucking wacky stunts. You have to do the fucking eat the bugs. You have to do a, a fucking go in the ocean and get a buoy. You're going to have to do a scavenger hunt challenge. All sorts of dumb shit to pad out 10 episodes so one team can play deal or no deal. Which, by the way, it's deal or no deal. That means... Unlike other episodes of the American version, where if they crash out, the show's over and they just stop the game, on this show, you have to fucking play it out. So if there is a great chance a team can win Deal or No Deal Island and crash out the show, they knock out the million, they knock out 800,000, they knock out half a mil, they knock out 300,000, 100,000, 75,000, and then No Deal Howie, 
100,000, 200,000, 50,000. Oh, well, the most you can win is $10,000. What gripping television. We saw 10 episodes of a reality show, and through the string of bad luck, the team could possibly screw up and leave with a penny. And you're supposed to think that that's an enticement to keep watching. Hey, look at this team win a penny. But the opposite will happen. Because what will happen is an audience will be so invested in the show. Because that's the idea. You're getting the audience to be so invested in this TV show that they end up being pissed off if the end of the show is they win 100 bucks. That's not going to be exciting television. Even if you have a big finale where they leave via helicopter and leave the island and it's a big dramatic send-off, no. It it doesn't, it would not work. As a team game show that defeats the purpose of Survivor, which is political uh, connection with everybody. Because now you have to work with your own personal alliance, your team member, the person you brought with you on the island which doesn't make a really good Survivor, like, rip-off kind of show. So you also lose on that. And then three, because you can't get Survivor people into this show. You can't get Deal or No Deal people into this show. Three, you have hundreds of cases on the island. So if you have more... So obviously, I think the hook is if you have more brief cases, the bigger chance you have the big money... So there's going to be more probably offers and things like classic deal or no deal to tempt them to leave. But at the same time, with 100 cases on the island, you, what's going to happen is what the rule set of deal or no deal has to change based on the amount of cases you have. Unless for some reason it is you can only bring 26 cases with you to the show at the end in which case you have to leave behind a few case. then that does then that defeats also the purpose of deal or no deal which is you island which is get as many cases as you can so they haven't really worked out the game format and they already gave the a okay that to me is a big red flag now i will still watch the show i like deal or no deal but I would rather watch a fucking in-studio version of Deal or No Deal in Survivor, not to put the two together. It's not a peanut butter and chocolate combination. This is like a like a jello pudding macaroni and cheese combination. You're, you have two separate comfort items and you decide to put the two together. It, it doesn't seem like it would work out. But I've been wrong before, but this doesn't sound in, like a good show to have picked up. I would have just tried to do one versus 100 and just had a tribute to Bob Saget. Um, but hey, at least it's not amnesia or my dad is better than your dad, right? So hey, it's all it's all a wash. Anyway, um... And that that is the news segment. I mean, there's lots of news going on besides the strike going on. Uh, Jamie Foxx is currently uh, uh, currently in the hospital, so uh, Nick Cannon is filling in for Jamie Foxx for this season of Beach Shazam. Uh, additionally, they are moving the wall on the Friday nights to do more wall. Uh, so it looks like there's going to be a lot more of interesting things. BBC's looking for more game shows for Saturdays. So so there's a lot of interesting things uh, in terms of Strike. Maya Bialik left the last production week because she supports the writer strike. Ken Jennings, on the other hand, uh, finished up the season. So there's a whole talk of is Ken Jennings a scab or not. So a lot of things here and there going on. Additionally, uh, Next Level Chef is getting two more seasons. I think it's an interesting show format, but at the same time, I still don't know why NBC has to have so many Ramsey shows, especially a culinary competition show like Next Level Chef, when they already have something called Master Chef going on. Other than, hey, amateur chefs take on regular chefs and then and, and social media people and this weird code. I don't, I don't know. Eh, but that's okay. 
so here we go. Uh, let's talk about uh, game shows now. Let's start today's episode as we're about to come to an end somewhat. Uh, let's talk about Spin the Wheel. So a long ass time ago, we covered Spin the Wheel. Uh, Brandon Parnes, what up? Uh, he, uh, we were talking Spin the Wheel. Uh, and I watched a few episodes, and it is an interesting game show. Uh, so, <clears throat> I don't really have a whole lot of research going on for this episode, because essentially it's a, t a one season wonder. Uh, in a later episode that you'll see on the Patreon uh, feed, we did Cherry's Wild Review. Uh, and between the two, Spin the Wheel was actually a much better show. Um, so, Spin the Wheel is a 10-episode, one-season wonder, executive produced by Justin Timberlake, kind of playing the LeBron James role, and hosted by Dak Shepard, playing the Chris Hardwick role, for essentially a variation of The Wall. But it, while The Wall is a Plinko knockoff, the Spin the Wheel wheel is an oversized version of the big spin wheel where there's a little marble and it goes around the circle and it drops. Uh, because it is uh, motorized randomly, it's not necessarily based on physical skill like a typical Wheel of Fortune wheel or a Price is Right heavy wheel, but rather that of a motor, which is exactly the kind of motor for our other game show tonight, The Wheel. So there's two The Wheel shows. We're doing Spin the Wheel first. So, uh, Andrew Glassman, uh, we will talk about him in a large time, probably for the bingo episode, if we ever do National Bingo Night. He loves oversized things. The big Plinko board, the big bingo cage, and in this case, the big wheel. It's a 40-foot wheel, really huge, reminds me of Mega Spin on the Rocco's Modern Life episode, and the gimmick is very simple. There are going to be 16 spins in the show. So you're going to be seeing the wheel spun 16 times per episode. All of the questions are pop culture or general knowledge, much like uh, the wheel. Uh, and the first three rounds involve questions. The rest do not. So let's get to it. <clears throat> In round one, we meet our contestant, and they get to play the game by themselves. And they're, like, having a good time. They're having... Yay! We get to meet the, the hero of the episode, just like the wheel. But it's not played as a team yet. It's just played with a solo. They get to play round one. Quick spin. There are four questions, and they are going to be 50-50 choices, much like the, 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 the free fall in round one of the wall. There's two possible choices. You answer it while the wheel's in motion. You have 10 seconds. Once the wheel stops, whatever is landed, that's how much you win, if you're right. And if it's wrong, you lose. What's the value of the wheel? That's the first round. So there's four spins that are just like that. <clears throat> and in round two, they play Quick Spin Plus. It's not Quick Spin. It's Quick Spin Plus. Da -da 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 -da. All right. Uh, so in, in this, uh, now we bring in the partner to the show. So uh, they, essentially the hero of the episode... Uh, has a whole bunch of support group. And of the support group, they make a choice right then and there of which of those people who root for gets to be in the wall area. But they don't have a wall area. They just have a chair in the audience with a screen and it looks like a cockpit for a, a like a air like a like a jet complete with a little uh, trigger mechanism, like an ejector seat, like you're about to fire a missile. So whoever is the person in the, in I'm gonna keep saying behind the wall, even though I shouldn't, because they're in a cockpit, they're behind the wall. Uh, they get to have control of a button pusher thing, 
But now, and here's the twist, they get to push the button. So what happens is uh, the contestant gets three possible answers to a question. And then once the question is asked, the contestant then has to ring, spin the wheel, and put in the answer. But here's the big twist. Are you ready? Because as you know, the wheel can spin on any sort of situation, including up to half a million dollars. Already, four spins could mean two million. But in this round, if the, the person behind the wall or cockpit thinks that that contestant will really know the answer, they can slam the button and double the value of the question which means every question could be worth $1 million, up to $4 million. They could push it on all four questions. It's like doubling up, but without putting two balls in the wheel because we don't want to fix that. It's instead just double the value of the wheel. But remember, just like in, in the quick spin, if they're wrong, though, they lose the money, and that's scary. So, so you follow along the so the first half of the show is quick spin. It's trivia questions. It makes sense. It feels a lot like the wall. You know, the ball lands somewhere. Oh, for a hundred thousand dollars, that's right. And we 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 get happy. It's in the second half of the show that it becomes more of a strategy based game show. Round three is the most crucial part of the show. It is called Build Your Wheel. And it introduces two new spaces to the game. A million dollar wedge. Whoa, just like the one million dollars. And back to zero, because bankrupt is popular and they have to do some sort of risk. So now there is a million dollar wedge. It looks like a fancy like big fancy rich person space back to zero looks like a giant caution tape like a giant void banknote kind of thing and they're both placed on the wheel uh also there are penalty spaces minus fifty thousand minus two hundred thousand on the wheel as well and then there are also four segments of four low values one ten a hundred and a thousand just like on the wheel i'm sorry the wall where there's those low values of one ten a hundred and a thousand so yes we're still doing the wall low values so now oh if you get a dollar <clears throat> in this round though uh the contestant spins four times which is fun and interesting. Uh, and then they get to spin the wheel. What makes this so interesting now is that they get to play for four big values, 250, 500,000, a million dollars, and two million dollars. But the higher the value, and they only get one question per thing, the bigger the risk, which means if they play for 250,000, it's one back to zero if they're wrong. Half a million is two back to zeros if they're wrong. A million is three back to zeros. And the big money itself, the two million, is four back to zeros. If they get the question right, they win that money as a wedge. And here's the big twist. They could place it however much they want on the wheel. So if they had two million dollars, they could have just one $2 million wedge, cover up a dollar, or they can have two wedges at the $1 and $10 level for a million dollars. They could have three. So it's more like a 600 and something thousand, 600, 667, I think. Oh boy. In three, or they can have four and fill out the entire much of those low values, so it's five hundred thousand each. So you get to divide your wedges and divide the wheel and the big money, and you get to build the wedge, which is interesting because it's strategy, but at the same time, 
because you can't really divide 250,000 evenly three ways, it makes for really awkward 66,667s. Uh, additionally, it goes from two back to zeros and two if they screw up, 12 because one, two, three, four. But that's it with build your wheel and that's it with questions. We didn't get to do final spins. Whoa! In final spins, there's no more questions. They get to take an offer. So now whoever is pushing the button gets one final chance to be a guardian angel in this game with the cockpit behind the wheel. They get an offer and then they spin the wheel. There's $1 million on the wedge and there's also a minus 500,000. And the new rule is if you hit back to zero or don't have money, the game is over. It's kind of like the big red balls. <clears throat> After one spin, a second offer is given, possibly for more money. Always a ridiculous amount of money, like $49,329. <clears throat> they do a second spin, but now there's a million dollar space and one back to zero, making the risk even higher. Then they get a third offer and there's a $2 million space with a back to zero. Or should I say two of them? Whoa! Then the fourth spin. It's, a, it's the biggest prize of them all. $3 million on one of these, like, 60 spaces. And, of course, three back to zeros, making the risk even better. Remember, if you land them back to zero, you lose everything, and the game is over. After the fourth spin, which is 16 spins, the game is over, and we get to do a very fun ceremony thing just like the wall where we'll see how many offers there were and then which one did she push or or of the four to make the risk even bigger and then they do a ceremony like the wall oh there's so much money and we could change our lives so i pushed the button Earlier this week, uh, people were upset on the wheel on the wall because the team got almost two point nine million dollars, but the the person behind the wall signed the contract and it was two hundred thousand. I I should probably uh, say right now that is nothing compared to what I have seen on spin the wheel, where somebody had nearly four million dollars and they signed the contract and left with half a million dollars. So. We, we could celebrate the $2 million being lost, but someone lost out on four, almost $4 million on the show. I have, That is not a joke. That was episode four. I believe they actually had, like, a note. Yeah, they accumulated $4.05 million, but they finished with 736000 So th that's the show. They keep taking the money and they don't win. So unlike the wall where the money fluctuates and it has all this thing, this is exactly the same as the wall, but with a wheel. That being said, though, the wall is still on the air right now and Spin the Wheel only lasted one season. I don't know if it's because of Dak Shepard. I don't know if Fox didn't really see the potential. This was in 2019 before the pandemic. But here's the one thing I will argue about <clears throat> this show actually was just the wall and the wall was a really good heartfelt game show it's not really a fox game show because fox kind of wants more like drama however given how much money was on the line given the star power of Dak shepherd uh they actually had a really good concept here and if they really wanted to because the wall had no audience for a few seasons. They could have easily used this as a pandemic friendly game show. They could have easily brought this show back if they really want a high stakes, big money game show. In many regards, this was actually one of the better Fox game shows to have come out. When afterwards you get shit like Cherry's Wild. 
I would watch Spin the Wheel again if they made a season two over Cherry's Wild, if that's the case. However, the show definitely needs to retool a lot of things, such as the, the little chair, the importance of the button. They kind of just make it such a weird show in regards to how they try to differentiate that from the wall. But as far as the wheel is concerned, it's a very interesting format. So for me, I thought it was a very interesting thing, even if the set was a little drab, a little dark, it still felt like the wall. And hey, some people like the wall, other people don't. That's kind of the same thing you could say for Spin the Wheel. But I thought it was one of the better Fox game shows to come out in recent time. But if you don't want to spin the wheel, why don't you spin the wheel? Do 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 so the wheel started off as an offshoot of Michael McIntyre's big show because of the pandemic that happened back in the 2020s. They couldn't really have a game show. Well, they couldn't really have his little uh, variety act show with guests. So what he came up with was this sort of big Saturday night game show where there are three contestants socially distanced from another and then they get a pop up. Uh, onto a big me mechanism where they get to play a version of Trivial Pursuit. Spoilers! They basically ripped off Trivia Crack. Not Trivial Pursuit, Trivia Crack. Because <clears throat> there's seven spaces on the wheel, each of the wedges is related to a celebrity in their quote-unquote expertise. The big joke of the expertise subjects is that, well, there's connections to their celebrity. Like a celebrity chef gets a food thing, a sports person gets a sports category. There's always going to be a comedian with a bizarre category that's not really their expertise, or an actor getting something that they don't really know much about, but is a classic game show staple, such as history or um, math. So here's the other twist of the game, is that each of the categories on the wheel, uh, if we go for the production aspect, uh, has a set number of difficulty curves based on how long the show has been going. So if the contestant is clearing house very early on, they get more and more difficult questions making it so it's easy for them to get off the wheel so they can drag the show on for a while. While if the show is becoming a bit more dragged out, the categories get easier and easier, so there should be no chance in hell of a contestant screwing up and they have to be there all day. Of course, in the event that they have lots and lots of questions and no one's answering them correctly, they do edit out the questions to make sure it fits the hour-long time slot. Got it? So, here's how it goes. They spin the wheel. Uh, where it lands on uh, is how much the value is in the British version, 3,000. We'll just go by the British format. They brought back to America with six, and the format's very watered down. Uh, I reviewed that, and I didn't like it so much because uh, they just really wanted to make the show with expertises and lockouts and a one and six. But with the seven, that's what we're playing with. <clears throat> so if it lands on the expert, it should be easier, but they get a harder question. And it's for a lot more money. But if it's not, then they get 3,000. So it's either, uh, it's either I think, 10,000 or, or 3,000. And then... If everybody answers the question correctly, there's a bonus, and that's a good thing as well. But be careful, if the expert gets the question wrong, it adds a red, which means when you spin the wheel to lock someone out, you get two reds, and that makes the game a little difficult. Just like spin the wheel, the wheel is randomized, which means there is no skill base in spinning the wheel, it is all randomly programmed by a computer before the show. 
Now, I guess we have moved on in the world of game shows that no one can claim these wheels are rigged, which I guess is a good thing, because I remember hearing that when they brought back the Joker's Wild. So when it comes to the wheel, uh, it's a really cool structure of a second story floor with them spinning and a contestant floor below it and all these cool cameras and all the celebrities getting to play like a trivia quiz game. It is a very feel-good, happy game show. To me, it was one of the better highlights of the pandemic because it shows that game shows were possible in the midst of a pandemic. When it came to making game shows in the midst of the pandemic, you had everything from a celebrity game face where it's all Skype, to uh, game shows, but with the weirdest podium distancing out there that it looked like they were talking from way across the street instead of next to each other. So something like The Wheel, which was closely monitored and had an interesting format that's basically a takeoff of Trivia Crack, made it a more interesting show. So season one was kind of an okay show. It was kind of, I think, felt like a, well, there's nothing else on on the Beebs. Let's give it a go. What else is there? And I thought that was really cool. But at the same time, they then brought it back for season two. And it's there they did the twist. They did a cash builder kind of game where all the uh, celebrities bring an answer for a bonus thousand. And if they get a full house, it becomes 10,000. And I thought that's a really cool addition to the show. Additionally, when season three rolled around, which was after the American version, they now have more graphics and more cool uh, terms for the show, which made it more American. And because it's more American, Michael McIntyre now has a catchphrase, which is when the contestant's about to get drawn up, he now says, it's a one in three, who's it gonna be? And if you thought that was annoying, well, imagine that for a full hour. All right, so I know I'm being very glib about the wheel, but the theme song is catchy. They spin the wheel. There's a lot of cool variants. One of the interesting things I like about the wheel was they actually got the Sidemen people on YouTube to play a version of the show for their YouTube channel on the set and everything. And I thought that's a really cool variant that they tried to do. Uh, to mix for the social media buzz. I thought that was really fun. Additionally, uh, what I like about The Wheel is the fact that it is, depending on the episode, very fast to sit through. But there are episodes where there's wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer, and it just slogs and is painful. However, if they get the right casting with the celebrities, it's a very joyous, happy show and one that I always try to glue myself to watch and when it's available. So that being said, uh, the best part about the wheel is that at the end of the show, they go through a leaderboard, whoever's in first place, whoever's in fourth place, because that's the direct middle and whoever's in last place are the last three that could help the contestant win the money. If they play with the middle player, they get the bank that's at the end of the show, so 40000 or something. If they decide to play with the expert, quote-unquote, who's gotten the most questions right, that's the position one celebrity, they get 20000 which is half the bank. But if they want to take a risk... They get to play with the big dunce character of the show, the big comedian, the wrong answer goblin. They can double the money to 80,000. So 20, 40, or 80. And then they spin the wheel one last time to determine the category. They have 30 seconds to confer, and then they must give an answer. And if they're correct, they win the show in the bank. Otherwise, they're off the wheel, and another celebrity has the chance to spin the wheel with the two other celebrities to. You've seen the, it's basically just get it right, you stay on the wheel, get it wrong, you're off the wheel, but you can survive if it's a one in three shot. When they brought the show to America, they watered the show down too. There's three contestants, and if they, it's a one in three, who's it going to be? 
and then they answer a question based on the category of their selection. They spin the wheel. They have to lock out one celebrity. One's the expert, and it's six celebrities with six categories. Once all six are done, they get to do the bonus round where the first player, the third player, and the last player get to play. And you got to choose which one do you want to use for the final question. They play it just like they did, but it's a, a dollar, so you win $80,000! Do, 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 do. The wheel, when it came to NBC, they stripped it for five nights for two weeks at a time when they really had no confidence. In fact, they burnt the show practically. They didn't really do much advertising for it other than saying, it's a new hit show. That's, that's a little weak, a little sad, because I think the appeal of the wheel even though I thought it was just okay in America, I think it's a little better in the UK, but it's still a very sloggy, slow show. I think the appeal of the wheel, besides its ability to create a game show in the midst of a pandemic that was interesting, fun, and easy to play along with, the big appeal for the wheel in the post-pandemic game is that it is kind of like those celebrity game shows that we've had in yesteryear, the Break the Banks, the Hollywood Squares, those kind of shows where you have a mix of celebrities and they all have fun. Yes, they don't really get to glib as much and do jokes like the Hollywood Squares or Celebrity Squares over there, but they get to actually help a contestant out and talk about it. And if they don't know anything, it becomes a funny moment. And that becomes a part of the joke of the show, which is kind of fun. And I think that is the fun appeal because you get somebody who might be famous for being a, a religious television personality, getting a motorsport question or you get somebody who is a hidden camera prank comedian getting a question about fine art those are always sort of silly and i thought that's a good appeal for the wheel i think that's the major takeaway for the show is that it can be done and there are still interesting formats out there even if it's an offshoot of Trivia crack. It's just trivia crack, folks. Um, so that's the in conclusion for Spin the Wheel. Um, I, I wanted to talk. I don't really have much left to talk about other than Paul Fair has the best theme song in all the game shows. He did The Chase. He did um, A Thousand Heartbeats. And this one is also right up there. So you have to give it a listen when you can. Um other than that, there's nothing left to really report. But it is time for the, <laughs> well, I was going to say the 108-part series, but now it has grown. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Back to 1973. Back to, sorry, back to 73. Just back to 73. All right. Originally uh, premiered September 20th, 2021, episode 9511K. Air to have order September 14th. Originally were scheduled to air on September 13th. Uh, it has resurfaced to back to 73 for January 2nd, 2023. The game board is a vintage antenna television set with the show's original logo from the new Prices Right as back to 72 or the 73 to 2007 logo as back to 73 below it with a 72 to 75 turntable backdrop behind it. A daisy dial is on the left side with the number 50 above it in the channel display to denote the contestant's bank. Beneath it is a rangefinder that resembles an old radio that presents the price range in which the contestant guesses. 
George Gray describes three small prizes that were featured on the show 50 years prior, one at a time, reading an exact copy Johnny Olsen's script from that year. After George describes the item, the contestant turns the dial to move the needle to guess the actual historical price of the item. For every, I, for every dollar they are off, a dollar is deducted from their $50 bank. If it hits zero at any point, they lose. The first item is always at a zero to $50 range. The second also has a $50 range. They're not always from zero. And the third is a $100 range. If the contestant has any money left in their $50 bank, after all three prizes, they win the large prize. On the debut playing, it was played for $50,000 and won. The game had its first loss December 15th, 2021. It's currently 12-3, and its final playing is back to 72. It was played first in a 47,000 1972 Chevrolet Chevelle Malibu was offered and was won. The game was played 73. The first show that year, 25,000 was won. Drew said they never intended to bring it back as back to 72, so they just changed the name. It's worth noting that the game was technically was removed from the rotation at the start of 51st season until this first episode 2023. This is the first pricing game of the 2020s. That's the thing I really want to point out here, because when I ended game shows, I suppose the first time around, this didn't show up. Gridlock was the last game. Uh, the game bears similarities between cliffhangers and mystery price. I, I guess so. Drew referred to the Goodson Tommen asterisk as the Daisy Dial. This is the second game to use the show's original logo after Take Two. However, it's the only one to use the original title, The New Price is Right. All of the descriptions of the items used in the game are identical to the original airings in the 70s. The game resurrected the rectangular wipe effects when transitioning to and from the small price description, which were more frequent in the late 70s and 80s than they were in 72 73. Also, since December 2021, the game uses random classic cues for prize descriptions, but not necessarily the 72, 76, uh, 73 cues. Like Rat Race, Past a Bug, or Hot Seat, Back to 73 has never been the second pricing game in the lineup because it needs time to start up. With the exception of June 22nd, 2022, in which case it was played first, Back to 73 can't play earlier than third. This game was played 15 games, is back to 73, currently played five times, is back to 73. I don't know when the time this episode airs, it could be six. Um, I have to talk about this. This is one of the interesting uh, pricing games because it's essentially uh, a cliffhanger's light. And I like the idea that you have to guess the price with a dial and bid and then you lose it. And if you get three, it's essentially um, when I had a, a mini game. Because I do a lot of mini games with with uh, shows. I had one that was, I guess, the age situation kind of show called What's My Age Again? And it was, you have uh, 10 years and you have three contestants and you have to be off by so many times twice. This is somewhat like that, but with the old back to 73. So all the prices from 1973. I like the idea as a concept because it's like now and then where there's old prices and they're kind of cool, retro-y kind of interesting prizes. So there's a whole lot of research that goes into these items and grabbing them and, and making sure they're in pristine condition, that they're looking like a prize, enough to feel like a good tribute to the prices right 50 years. However, this is a weird game show because Personally speaking, as much as I like celebrating 50 years of The Price is Right and having these old products, I think the major appeal for The Price is Right is modern day of the year items. I think it's fun to see what's the price of eggs in 2023, not guess the price of eggs from 1973. Uh, so we are now in a world where there is automatic coffee mugs that heat up. There is air fryers. So back in 73, it's a crock pot and a can opener. And it's like, okay, kind of fun, kind of novel. But it's, it's a very throwback, but in a way, 
it, it's not the most interesting show because it's not with modern day services. It's with old stuff. Now, uh, it's kind of to me also like when they did the price was right when they had that NBC version of the price is right. Where it's like, can you guess the price of this car from 1965? I get it, but I also don't want that. However, I will say as a tribute to The Price is Right, with the cues, with the descriptions, it is lovely. And it's still a great addition to The Price is Right lineup, especially when it's a novelty sort of once-in-a-while kind of game. To me, that's what makes it such a unique spectacle and one that I... Always get excited about when I see it played, even though I know the contestant doesn't know how the game works because you have to explain. Well, you have $50 to work with for the 50 years it's been since this product existed. It, it, it's to me not the same. But next time when we do one of these, it's to the penny. And that is going to do it for this special extra episode of Game Shows, I suppose. Yeah, not as well researched. Yeah, it could have been better. But hey, we're somewhat back, I guess. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join me uh, uh, next time when we talk about more game shows, I suppose. Uh, the next few weeks are going to be full of GSN Originals because we're going to cover four game shows every week of Game Show Network shows until we wipe them all out that I have forgotten, but not really forgotten. So stay tuned for that. Be sure to check out the archived episodes Mondays. Uh, if you want to get in advance on all of those, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Jordan Haas. And I will see you again next time for another game show, I suppose. Till then, big smooch. Mwah!